the comment, he goes, I can't wait, I really want to try one of your coffees. You know, he's looking at my machine and it's a, it's a bit flash. And um, uh, like others, I've got full cream, full fat milk at home. That's my only alternative for you. <laughs> so he brought his own almond milk. As I'm getting ready and I'm pulling a shot, you know, I've got the almond milk in the jug, I'm going to froth it to make his latte. My oldest son, Samuel, comes along and goes, let me do that for you, Dad. You can't, you can't froth almond milk. <laughs> so he froths this almond milk. As he's doing it, he took so long, I'm looking at the coffee pour and I'm thinking, I'll have to do that again. The coffee pour is not very good. Now, if you're a coffee snob, you'll know what I mean. It just didn't look quite right. It was NQR. And so I got everything ready, cleaned stuff out, re, you know, ground the coffee again, pulled the shots. They were perfect. Samuel's looking at his arm and milk and goes, you took so long, the milk split. The milk split. For those that aren't sure, milk splits because you overheat. Yeah, it's got nothing to do with time in between. I just thought I would take the opportunity while we're streaming live to settle the argument where he has no comeback. Is that all right? So that's, that's a father getting one back on their son. So now we're going to pray and we'll do something spiritual. <laughs> father, we just thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for the fun that we've had. We thank you, Lord, for the baptism especially. We thank you for Sally's life. And Lord, I guess most importantly, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for being with us today. And we ask you just to speak to us with the time that we've got left in Jesus' name. And people said yes and amen. Amen. Uh, a friend of ours that was here last week, he doesn't do it if he's done it before, but often when he's drinking water that you've given him, he takes a drink and he goes, it's a refreshing break brought to you by Community Co., <laughs> anyway, that's IGA for those that aren't sure. Um, I want to jump in and talk from Thessalonians. We've been looking at that over the last month. But what I want to do today is I actually I, I want to look at what does a heart-centered life look like? What is a, what is a believer, what is a person that's heart is centered on God? What, what do they look like and, and how do they get there? Because I think even with... Sally today was a beautiful representation because he's a woman who's focused on the Lord. And even for me, when you, when you make a public declaration through baptism, it's almost like you narrow that focus even further down and you're saying, hey, this is the real deal for me. You know, there, there are no ifs and buts. And, and so we need to look at the Thessalonians because these guys had a heart that was centred on God. And, and, and in fact, as you read the scripture it was in, during the time of the Roman Empire and, and stuff was, was happening then. The same sort of stuff that we, that we have in our culture today was happening in those days. And, and even though the Thessalonian church was subject to all that, the scripture suggests that they had such a heart that that church was alive. Like it was, it was flat out alive. In the time of the Roman Empire, you know, Greece was having all of its storms. They had earthquakes. They even had volcanoes erupting back then. You know, they had disasters. They had war. They had famines. They, they had, you know, um, sexual immorality. They had power fights. They had control. They had bullying. They had racism. They had murder. Everything that we have in our culture today, right, these guys had. And yet, 
the church of Jesus was alive. So there's something that, that we can learn from them. So we're going to read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 13 to 16. It'll be up on the screen. And it reads, And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, this is really important, not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, become, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to their limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last and it goes on. A couple of questions. If a heart surgeon, yeah, if a heart surgeon saved your life, what would your, what would your attitude be? How would you feel towards him? Like if he saved your life? Absolutely. If someone saved you from a fall or rescued you out of the ocean, like let's just think of the movie Titanic. What was the guy's name that died? Leonardo. Jack Leonardo. Imagine if he was actually saved. Like how would he feel if he was pulled out of the ocean alive, if he got saved? Imagine if someone paid off a huge debt for you. Like how cool would that be, someone pay off your mortgage? Like that would be awesome. How would you feel about them? Because pardon the cliché, but for me, Jesus rescued me. And I'd go as far as to say that hasn't he healed all of our hearts? Like, hasn't he healed our hearts? And hasn't he, even today we saw the representation. As Sally went into the water, it represents Christ's, Christ's death. But as she comes out of the water, it represents his resurrection, his rising from the dead. Hasn't he risen? Hasn't he made alive our hearts again? So if we're a believer in Jesus, he's forgiven us of our stuff. He's forgiven us. Often you hear the word sin, but people don't like the word sin because it brings guilt and shame and conviction. So he's delivered us and healed us of the stuff that separate us from him. Yeah, is that fair? There's a word no one can be, you know, get upset about. He's given us eternal life. He's adopted us into his family, the family of God. He's blessed us in the heavenly realms. These are things that the Bible says with every spiritual blessing. He's filled us with the Holy Spirit. He answers our prayers. And all the way that we're walking with him as our saviour, he leads us and he keeps us till the very end. That's, that's really cool. So if God has done those things in our lives, really simple question, shouldn't we be feeling pretty good about God right now? Yeah? yeah? yeah. But isn't it frustrating that you meet so many Christians that this is true for and they look like they woke up sucking on lemons. Yeah? Like, hello? You know, the fact is, if we're actually, if people remind you, if we're reminded of these blessings, aren't we reminded that these things are actually, as was beautifully put by Roz, they're a gift from God. Yeah? A free gift from Him. And it's important for us to understand that from him and to him and through him are all things. We, we often in this church sing those particular lyrics. It's important for us to understand that salvation is from the Lord. It's a gift. It's actually a gift from God himself. And I love that. You know, I'm only saved because God enabled me to be saved. I'm only saved, yes, I thank God that I trusted in him by faith, but I, I, I thank God that I got that free gift of salvation. 
So I'm saved, so now that I can be a part of his family, I'm now seated in heavenly places, I no longer face an eternity without him. Yeah. So if that's true, the Bible suggests that no one comes to Jesus unless the Father draws them. That's what the Bible says. If it's true that Jesus alone is the way, the truth and the life, shouldn't you and I then be God-centred people? Like, just shouldn't we be God-centred people? I'm sure if someone was walking across the road and they're about to get hit by a car and then in my super flash-type speed, like Barry Allen, I ran across there, whisked him across the road and saved his life, whoever that person was, I reckon that they're going to feel pretty indebted. When we are indebted to God, but they're going to feel like whenever they see me, I'm going to be the focus of their attention. Yeah? It should be the same for us. If, the, if he's done that work in our lives, should we just receive this gift of salvation and then live a life that's just for me, that's me-centred, that's selfish? You know, is it possible to actually have our hearts beating again for him, being raised with him like Sally was this morning? Is it possible for that to happen and then forget the person who did that for us? Like, it's just, it can't be. You know, and today, the Thessalonians, they became a God-centered church. And I want to look at how each one of them had God-centered hearts. You know, I, I truly believe, and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll keep referring to it, but I believe that Sally in getting baptized today was saying and demonstrating that, hey, I've got a God-centered heart, yeah? There might be people in a workplace that don't quite get it, yeah? But I've got a God-centered heart. It's focused on him. It's the way that it is. It's a statement, and it's a good thing. Let me give you a, a couple of reasons why it's a really good thing. Just two reasons why it's a really good thing. What you don't know is that there's the, the one reason has got a lot of stuff underneath it. But only two reasons, yeah? Two reasons why it's a really good thing to be God-centered. Now, a, a lot of people will think, well, hold on a minute. Isn't my life, and won't it go better if I take control? Won't my life go better if I make it about me and, 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 and I'm focused on me and, I, and I'm me-centered? If I'm in control, surely my life then would be better. Here's a simple question. If God is real... Who's more likely to mess up our life? Us or God? Yet we struggle to hand over control. <laughs> I think it's much better, a much better plan not to be me-centred and instead have God in the centre of me. Yeah? So the first thing, why it's good to, to have a God-centred heart is because it actually gives you and it brings you contentment. It actually gives us great contentment, yeah, like totally. And you know what the opposite of being content is? A kid who doesn't get McDonald's when they want it. There's a better picture. It's the golden arches that we're going there. No, ah, yeah, and off they go. It's much better to be content than to be grumpy. It's much better to be content than be a person who complains. You know why it's not good to be a person who complains? Glad you asked. Let me tell you. <laughs> the Bible says, Philippians 2, 14 and 16, Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky, as you hold firmly to the word of life, and then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ 
that I did not run or labour in vain. Here's the first reason that it's not good to be someone who complains or is always grumpy. It's really simple. Some of this stuff is going to blow your mind. Best theology you ever heard. People don't want to hear you complain. I know some of, you, some of you may want to write this down. This is refreshing in you. You've never heard it before. You actually thought that every time that you cracked the whoopies and you shared it, you actually believed that everybody wanted to hear it. I'm going to suggest that you don't, that people don't want to hear you complain. Actually, the Bible actually says don't even hang around with those type of people, with divisive people. So if you're, if you're going to be a complainer, what you're going to find is your circle of friends is going to shrink over time. Yeah, because people just don't like that negative type of person. And they wonder why they're all alone and it's everybody else's fault, but maybe it's just because they're grumpy. They're always complaining. You know? And you, in the end, that type of person drives himself crazy. Here's the next one. If you've actually already complained about something 27 times, do you really think the 28th time is going to change something? Like, seriously, isn't this common sense? Like, we complain about the same thing over and 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 over again and we wonder why it never changes. The complaining's not going to change anything, is it? What about, better still, is it possible that those you complain to have actually decided, I actually don't want to listen to you anymore. I've had enough of your complaints. Yeah, Much better to be full of contentment because when you're that person who... Here's one that's close to home. Who's got a barking dog next door that doesn't stop? Your complaints are like that neighbour's barking dog. Do you know, recently, our neighbour, she, she, legitimately she's lovely, but she's got these dogs that just bark and bark and bark, and she said, you're not going to believe it. S someone's put in a complaint. It wasn't us. But in my spirit, my face was saying, that's terrible. In my spirit, I was like, yes, yes. Because those dogs don't shut up. They're insane. I think of all those movies where people poison steak and throw it over the fence. I know no one would do that. And we don't do that because we're Christian. That's why the dogs are still alive. But when she said someone put in a complaint, I was rejoicing to the heavens. Yeah? Is that all right? Like, don't complain. You're like a barking dog. You know, and in fact, if you keep complaining, it actually accom doesn't accomplish anything at all. Nothing. In fact, James 1.20 says, because of human anger, it does not produce the righteousness that God desires. In other words, our complaints, our anger, our screaming, our shouting, they actually don't produce anything that's God-worthy. None of it. None of it, none of it, none of it. I, I, I probably should keep a portion of this the next time I leave dishes out, you know? Anyone ever left dishes out at home? Cups and saucers. And then, you know, your partner makes the odd comment again and again. You know, you could wash that. I brought it all the way to the sink. I brought it all the way to the dishwasher. I do love those, those magical coffee tables, you know, where you leave stuff and then overnight everything's just put away and gone. I don't have one of those, but I managed to take, take my stuff. <laughs> we do have one of those. Seriously? Oh, I've got to try it today. The magical coffee tub. You just, apparently, you just leave stuff there. Next day, it's gone. Washed up, clean, put away. It's amazing. Like, 
So, no, sorry, that's not, I don't understand that at all. <laughs> which, which son does it? <laughs> it actually, to be, you know what, to be a complainer really simply, for those of us that, that believe that the Bible is the word of God, it, go, it actually just goes against the Bible. It says in Philippians, in chapter 2, verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing. So for most of us, we say the Bible is the word of God. But yet we then live lives that are contrary to that, that are in, you know, I guess, our actions would suggest that we're denying the very word of God because we go against that. You know, the passage of scripture that we read earlier um, talked about shining, but so, so does Philippians. You and I, now this is the word wine, not red, I like that one. For those that are watching at home, I apologise. For those that are part of Churches of Christ, Baptist, AOGs, I actually like red wine. It's brought up in an Italian home. There you go. Thanks. Done. Now, this wine is the wine with a H, right? You can't shine and wine at the same time. I, come on, I practised that one. Like, seriously, I practised that one. Look, I don't often practise stuff, but that one at least I practised. You can't shine and wine. With a H at the same time. You could probably shine with wine, but that's a whole different shining. Anyway, Philippians 2.15 says, Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. So to start shining, we have to stop whinging and whining. Amen? You know, the Lord's unimpressed. Complaining offends God. When we complain, we're not using our spiritual gifts. Has anyone, for those that know anything about the Bible, anything about Christianity, have you ever discovered yeah, the spiritual gift of complaining? It is, that comic that used to be in the Herald Sun. But it doesn't exist. The spiritual gift of discouragement or complaining just doesn't exist. And when I complain, it just, it's showing that I'm not content. And it's probably the very thing that's stopping me being content. And the truth is, this one's probably the most important. When we complain, particularly as believers, when we complain, we might be leading some, someone away from the heart of Jesus. That's the big one. So for me, can you see that it's a really bad plan to complain? Much better to shine like stars. Much better to be God-centered. Much better to be God-focused. You know, I think that's one of the issues in our society today. So much of society just shouts at one another. Everyone has their opinions. Yeah, That's okay. And I'm going to go out on a ledge. I don't have to agree with your opinion. And you don't have to agree with mine. But the minute you start to lord over me because of my different opinion or vice versa, you're actually being childish. You're being a child. Because as human beings, mature adults, we can actually debate. And I can say, I don't agree with that. Why not? Well, it just doesn't sit right. For me, it could be my faith. Whatever it might be, it could be my upbringing. Yeah? When you make pasta, it has to cook. The red sauce has to cook for three hours. It doesn't come out of a can. In 30 minutes, doesn't work. Now, you might not agree with me, but that's okay. I'm going to love you anyway because we're going to take the side of maturity, yeah? We can have a different opinion, but the world around us, nobody listens anymore. They're forever shouting at one another. Like they just shout. If you watch the news, isn't it just people with different opinions shouting from one side depending on the, the thing that they're filming, shouting their different opinions from one side to the other? What about our parliamentarians, our government? Seriously, 
the system that we use is just freaking broken because all they do is they go in there and they just shout at everyone. Like, how can you respect a politician that's just going to pull everyone down and, and, and call them names and then come out and say, oh, and by the way, you're so bad, you're beep, and I've got the solution. It's not how it works. Nobody, nobody is listening because they're shouting at everyone, forever complaining. They're like grumpy old men and women. Like, it really, it's disastrous to watch. It can be funny, right? It's not healthy. So you've got, you've got this thing in society now that people don't even listen. They would rather criticise and complain. But, hey, Sally got baptised, so let's pick on her husband. He run, he's part of a business that he runs. And I would say that you would say yes in a heartbeat. There comes a time that you've got to transition and you can't criticise your workers all the time. You've got to now step into encouraging them, lifting them up, showing them a better way, yeah? We've got to do that in the workplace, in our schools, in government. And I believe that's one of the key things that holds believers back from being God-centred, that we, we get so focused on the little stuff that's not right. The communion table's not on the left anymore. It used to be on the left. I can't worship Jesus. Please. Like, hello. Jesus never sat on the left anyway. It was always at the right hand of God. The communion table's on the wrong side. No, 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 no. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, I know I'm making fun of it, but it doesn't matter. Man, if we could only be God-centred and not get focused on the little stuff, then I think we'd be victorious people. You know, there's a guy in the States by the name of George Verwa, if I pronounce it right, and he quoted this. He said that he believes that in America, in the last 50 or 60 years, there's been about 10% of the nation, only 10%, who have been sold out for Jesus. Sold out for Jesus. So go with me here. Church attendance is often higher. Higher than that, again, is people that claim to know God. But coming to church and claiming to know God actually doesn't mean that we're living God-centered lives. Yeah, That's not the marker of it. 10% that are sold out for God, living like Jesus wants them to live. This is what I know. And this is why we celebrated the baptism today. We celebrated the life of one person being baptized, Sally. Yeah, One person can make a difference. One person can make a difference who's God-centred, who's God-focused. Imagine what a whole bunch of people together could do. They would make a whole bunch of difference, wouldn't they? If 10% are totally sold out, shining like stars, completely centred, if that was accurate, man, I reckon that Ballarat would be a different place. Like I just think it would be. You know, there's a reason for those that were here last week or, or watched Gary's message, for those that are watching online, that he gave us a 21-day challenge. And his challenge was this. Wake up every morning and before you do anything, just using one word, be thankful for something. And not just thankful for something that you have, but something that you also desire. But be thankful for 21 days. Because at the end of the 21 days, what we've done is we've put to death being grumpy, unhappy, discontent, criticising. We've put that stuff to death just simply because we've woken up and been thankful for a moment. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. So how did the Thessalonians become God-centred? Just looking at the time. Wow, it's ticking away. Oh, we've only just started it. I've got 32 minutes left. Everyone's saying, oh, heaven forbid. No, I'll finish up shortly. Five. Let's go five. 
that means 10. Anyone else give me five minutes? Anyone else happy with five minutes? Are you happy with five? Are you happy with five? Anyone else five? Five, 10, 15. Um, oh, your hand moved. That's 20. Yeah, that'll do. How did the Thessalonians, seriously, how did they become God-centred? Because you and I, we, we get caught up in the everyday stuff. We can't help it. It's just the way, it's the way that stuff around us is wired. It's no different for Mel and I, you know. You've got a certain amount of money, the bills come, it surpasses the amount of money that you've got. You get caught up in that world, you can't help it. We get focused though on that small stuff and sometimes it can feel like we're always criticising the world around us and the stuff around us. So where, where and how do we begin being a God-centred person? It's, it's really simple. Accept and receive the word of God. Like it's just simple. Receive the word of God, that's... What the Thessalonians did, that's the beginning. And whatever our issue is right now, whatever frustrates us in our life right now, whatever frustrates us the most, whatever we, we, we don't like about the world right now, let me tell you something. All you and I have to do is receive the word of God in our hearts, in our lives. That's all we have to do. Philippians 2.13 said, And we also thank God continually because you received the word of God which you heard from us and you accepted it not as a human word, there's lots of human words everywhere, yeah, all over the place. I've never heard so many words. Look at social media, read all the words. There's heaps of them. And if you actually disagree with someone on social media, how many words come back from how many people? Like, I do it sometimes just to see if I can get more dislikes than anyone else. Like, it's good fun. You know, Mel doesn't understand why I do it, but I, I take pleasure in stirring the pot occasionally, you know. It is good fun. But anyway, we get centred on this stuff. So first of all, we just need to receive the word of God. Now, with all of these words, there are so many words. Imagine then having to sit down and have a conversation about these words. Imagine having to sit down with one of our politicians and talk about all the words that they spoke during the course of the day. It's, it's near impossible because people are going to shout. It's like an Italian dinner table. People just shout louder and louder and louder and louder to get their words out, to get their point across. People don't even listen anymore, I think. Right? There are loads of human words and it's not working. And then the rest of the scripture says, and you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which for me just says Jesus is the answer. It's no good looking at this and saying just men wrote it. Yeah? Wherever you are in your faith, oh, I like that, I don't like this, I like that, I don't like that, I actually don't like it at all. As far as I'm concerned, and as far as the majority of believers are concerned, the Thessalonians in particular, what they heard, they took on board as the word of God, as if it had been given to them from God himself, divinely planted into their heart. You and I, we need to receive a word like that. So if you're asking me, what does Australia need apart from a better cricket team? Because they're woefully shameful at the moment, aren't they? Anyone still, no one watches a cricket anymore, do they? No, it's a boring sport, and probably don't watch it. They got smashed yesterday. Like, just it's 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 disappointing. And all you read in the paper is about the spinner that got seven wickets. The team, it's a team sport. They got humiliated. Right, that the team got humiliated. Like they can't even tell the truth there. Anyway, doesn't matter. <laughs> what Australia needs, apart from that, and what you and I need, is the word of God to be received afresh into our hearts. I talked about my vegetable garden earlier. I've got two, two areas that are doing exceptionally well, but one of those areas is my tomato plants. 
the tomato plant self-propagated from last year. Anyone a gardener? Anyone like, I've only started to do the vegetable stuff. I love, I love watching it grow. Like, it's really cool. I, I, I get very angry at the little bugs that come along. And I've tried all the, you know, the organic, nice stuff. Soapy water and do this and do that and a little bit of oil. You know what? Well, I'm going to get the strongest chemicals. I'm going to kill those suckers and I'm just going to wash my veggies well later. But anyway, so my tomatoes, they're doing really well. So I can only figure that apart from their seeds dropping into the ground, the soil itself must be rich. It must be good. I did something right somehow because I was making it up as I went along. So I share that to say simply this. The point is... If you have good soil in your heart, yeah, the seed, the word of God will do its work. Because I've done nothing else to those tomatoes a bit, except recently started to water them because it's got hot. They've done it themselves. So we need to receive Jesus. Because 1 Peter 1.23 says, For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. It's imperishable. So we've got this thing that's, that's inside of us, yeah, that's steadfast, that doesn't change, that, that, that never leaves us, that never forsakes us, that, that he's there for us now and forever. Man, I love that. The Thessalonians didn't receive the word as it was from a man, but instead it was a divine seed. You and I need to understand, believer or not a believer, it does not matter. Even as a believer, yeah, you can decide to yes for Jesus one day, no for Jesus the next, and yes for Jesus the following. The word of God is the word of God. The seed is real. Yeah, we can't pick and choose what we're going to run with, you know. But the Thessalonians, they were a vine. They were remaining in him. They were living in him. They were abiding in him, you know, in Jesus. Man, that was just, they were so cool. So here's a question for us, yeah. Because Romans 11.33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. They gladly received the seed. They gladly received the word. They gladly received Jesus. But have we? Like, is he our focus? Are, are we people that just say that we're believers and claim to be believers? But are we God-centred? Yeah. Has the seed of Jesus been planted in our lives? Is, it, is he the most important thing to us or is our house and our job and the shoes that we wear and our vegetable garden, is that more important for us? Is, is, is the seed growing inside of us? Because if you've got good soil, the seed will do its work, won't it? Are we being pruned? Are we becoming more like Jesus? Are we bearing fruit? Because that's what a God-centered life looks like. That's what a God-centered church looks like. It's a church that grows in him, that re resembles the body of Christ. Yeah? I think sometimes we forget who we're from. In Thessalonians, it says in, in verse 14, because I want to I finish it up. It says, For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches, of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. And it goes on. But... They, they imitated the early church. They copied the early church. And the Thessalonian church, here's some, here's some theology for you. The Thessalonian church was one of the earliest churches ever born, ever birthed. And yet Paul says to them, you copied, you mimicked, you imitated the early church. So the only, the only church before them 
was around the time of the apostles, around the time of Pentecost. So that's what he's referring to. And he's saying to them, you actually imitated them. And they were on fire. They had the Holy Spirit in them. They were going for Jesus. Like, that's actually really cool. (laughs) So how can we imitate that early church? I mean, these guys devoted themselves to each other. They devoted themselves. They cared for each other. They loved on each other. They, you know, they, they devoted themselves to teaching. They did a whole bunch of stuff, but they were totally devoted to one another. We've been talking about being children of God and being mums and dads in the house. Can you imagine a parent that's not devoted to their children? The outcome of that. You and I... We are devoted to Jesus, but we have to be devoted to one another. You know, it goes on to say that they had fellowship. They were devoted to fellowship. That, that literally, that word literally means sharing. Sharing. They shared their lives. They, they devoted themselves to community life. They devoted themselves to staying in touch. I can stay at home and be a Christian. Not a real one. Sure, I'll get emails on that too. But scripture is scripture. Yeah? They devoted their lives. They helped one another. You know, you know what that means for today? That means you ring people up. It means you text people. It means you go over and visit. It means you have people to your house. Well, it means you fire up the barbecue. It means you meet at a cafe. It means you actually do life because, yes, you have your family, your, your flesh and blood, but you have your family of God as well. And you're supposed to be devoted to them. And if we realise that we're children of God and every child needs to be loved, cared for, nurtured, taken care of, it becomes really easy. It becomes so simple. When I, just, when I see a brother or sister, and, and this is not a demeaning way to think of someone, but I see, Ali, there's a sister, but she's a child of God. She's a child. As a child, she needs to be loved, cared for, nurtured. I know she's married to Ross, but you know what? Between Ross and Ali, maybe I can pop in there. Maybe I can bring them a, a real coffee with make-believe milk. Maybe I'll bring some tea. You know? Maybe we, I'm starting to share their love for flowers. You know? Not that I would go out like Ross and look at a flower and see the beauty of God. I just see a plant that's in the way of where I'm walking. But, 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 you know, we can start to love on one another. If I see that they're down, if I see Ross is down, dude, is everything okay? Yeah, that's the way Christians are supposed to be, not come in and go out. That, that's not life together. Why don't we stand? Because I, I really need to finish. We are children of God And we need to remember that we're children of God. We need to remember that we're sons and daughters of God. We need to remember that we're his hands and his feet extended. We need to remember that our life is so much greater than just my life. Yeah? And so this is my closing statement as a lawyer. We're going to watch this video just for a minute. Is that okay? If anyone's not seen it, sorry, spoiler. Oh, you can sit down if you like, but I'd stand. It's not that long now. Standing's all right. No, not this one. Oh, no, leave it. Do this one. And then we'll do the other one. I forgot about this video. Got carried away with your baptism. But what if we could love? 
unconditionally, what if we care selflessly, what if we actually live sacrificially, what if? What if we didn't condemn? What if we didn't grumble? What if we didn't complain? What if we were like Jesus? But you know what? There's something that holds us all back. And play the next video. And this is what holds us back. Each and every one of us. Rafiki. It's not my father. It's just my reflection. No! Look hard. <laughs> you see, he lives in you. are answered if we actually just remember who we are sons and daughters of the king like each and every one of us whether you go to church don't go to church regularly you should i think you should the italian enemy wants to upslap you when you don't it matters not but what's inside of you that breath that life that was placed there by god sometimes we just have to remember that we're sons and daughters of the living God. And that, that, that allows us and directs us and leads us to living a life that is God-centered. And when we live a life that is God-centered, I'm telling you, people around you are blessed by you. Because all of a sudden, you, 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 you're generous in who you are. You're generous in your time. You're loving in your care. You're devoted in your nurture. You're there for one another. Why don't we stand? We're going to pray. I've kept you all long enough, especially our guests. Thank you for...
persevering with me, yeah? I'm just going to ask you all, just to close your eyes for a moment, yeah? Just close your eyes for a moment. Father, I just pray that you, Holy Spirit, would move through this place right now. And because there are, there are times, there are seasons where we need to recommit our life to God. There are times, there are seasons when we need to step toward him. If I let that video play, for those that don't remember the movie, Simba runs, chasing his father and then it ends up back at Pride Rock because he remembers who he is, yeah? So if you're here today and you're a believer but you know your life hasn't been as focused on the Lord as it could be. It's not, you wouldn't say that it's God-centred, it's a God sort of roundabout type of existence. It's okay. God gives us opportunities always to be realigned, yeah? So if today's a day where you want your spirit to be realigned, I'm going to ask you, with no one else watching, I'm just going to ask you to make a, a, a physical representation of it, like Sally's baptism, just to raise, raise your hand so that I can see it, and we're just going to pray together, just say, that's me. I just want to be realigned to God. I want to be God-centred and God-focused. So if that's you, just raise your hand now so that I can see. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, Father, we want to pray for these people now, God, even myself, Lord, I just pray that being caught up in everyday stuff, Lord, help us to be God-centered. Help us to be God-focused. Help us to remember that you're, you're the one true living God, that in you and with you and through you is all that we need. Father, may we live a life of contentment, an abundant life. Lord, take away any, any parts of us that complain, that are grumpy, you know, that are gnarly sometimes, Lord God. Just remove that and fill that, Lord, with more and more of your spirit, I pray. And if you're in this place, first time, tenth time, hundredth time, but you've never accepted Jesus into your heart, you want to, you, 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 you like the sound of the Christian life, you've got friends that are Christians, you've walked and talked with people that, are, that know God, but you, you've not known how to start that journey, well, maybe today's the day. If that's you today, I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus so that we can pray a prayer together to say, my life is going to start with him. Yeah? It's nothing else. We don't take your money. <laughs> we don't force you to do anything. We just help you start living a life for Jesus. So on the count of three, if that's you, if you need to, for the first time, it could be a recommitment. If you want to walk and talk with the Lord, if you want to hear from him, if you want your life to be God-centered, there's someone that has inspired you in the past, then just on the count of three, and that's one, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand and so together with the rest of the congregation, with the rest of the family, we're going to pray with you. That's two. So if that's you, if you know that's you, I'm just going to give you a moment now just to raise your hand. That's three. Is there anyone that needs to make a commitment to Jesus? Cool. Lives are good. Father, we thank you, God, for those that are with us today. We thank you for those that are at home Lord, those that have been diligently watching, those that will watch. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the wonderful worship, the presence of your Holy Spirit. But Father, I thank you, Lord, particularly today. We thank you for Sally's baptism. Father, we thank you for her, Lord. We just we pray a blessing over her life, Lord God. We ask you to fill her afresh 
with your Holy Spirit. Father, may she hear from you, Lord, clearer than before. God, may she have dreams and visions. Lord, even ones that might wake her at night. Lord, when she grabs pen and paper and, Lord, she writes down the dreams of tomorrow, the plans of, of the future, God. So we do thank you. We thank you for her family, God. We thank you for the word that she shared. But, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for each and every person in this place. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Have a lovely Sunday. Sunshine's God. But, hey, there's real coffee here, so that makes up for it in Jesus' name.